on Instagram was kind of where I pushed them to because I'd be able to pick it up from there pretty easily. But Twitter, whatever is fine. I just needed to be able to find a picture so I could lay out a grid of pictures so we could actually sort of make some kind of comparison. But because there was a limitation, you only got one choice. It seemed like people really shied away from making that choice, even though there were no ramifications at the end of the day. I wasn't going to connect any single person's name to any person. So it wasn't going to be like, this guy likes this girl, uh, this guy likes this girl, this person likes this person, whatever. I was just going to have it be a grid of pictures and say, everyone, please vote on who you think is the best one. Uh, don't vote on the one you submitted, even though I wasn't even going to make sure there was a way you could check that. Uh, just this is the honor system. But the fact that I couldn't get people to commit to even making a choice in the first place kind of demonstrated to me the problem with men's aversion to commitments completely. This was essentially a microverse. When I had so many people ask questions, just essentially trying to worm their way out of, the, out of making a commitment to a single person in the first place, it started to make me suspicious that maybe men really just aren't capable. And if they aren't willing to make a hypothetical commitment then what is the problem we're going to run into when they have to actually make real commitments? Led me to a whole set of questions that I did not care to answer because it reinforces every negative stereotype about men I could think of. So that contest died. Uh, I did get two or three answers, but again, two or three isn't much of a selection. Uh, we couldn't end up choosing the most attractive person on the internet based on that. And with only two, three choices, it didn't seem like that was actually two, three choices worth voting on. So I guess by default, I win. So this is a lot of bits thrown together. There was construction going on in the morning. So I actually wasn't sure if I was going to be able to record the podcast today. And again, the quarantine, staying in my house day after day after day, my brain process is pretty garbage. Last week, I did mention that I have almost completely shifted over to exclusively sweatpants that I bought a pair of sweatpants and then I bought another pair of sweatpants. And I realized I could do some sort of sweatpant review website. I could do a YouTube series on the best sweatpants. The first thing I was surprised by was there are a lot of really expensive sweatpants out there. I was thinking in my head, a pair of sweatpants, $20, 2000 yen, something like that. And then when I started looking, it seemed like the average was going to be like $50 to $60, which, okay, it's a lot, but maybe these are high-quality sweatpants. Maybe they're, they're better. And I realized there's actually two types. There is the type you would actually exercise in, and then there's the type that would really officially not be sweatpants. They would just be uh, pajamas you wear during the day. They would be loungewear. So I, what I really did was buy a pair of each. I bought a pair of Everlast, and they were cheaper. They were more around the two, 3,000 yen range, which was what I was expecting to pay. Uh, and they sort of get tighter around the ankle. That was the only significant thing about them. Because if you're doing exercise, you don't want your pants flopping around. Be honest. Because uh, I'm doing stuff inside, lifting weights, chin-ups, doing a lot of yoga. I've actually worked into my daily routine to do a little bit of yoga with the kids so that we all do a little bit of activity every single day. And maybe that'll even carry on into the future. I've been quite happy with it. So then I decided I needed the other version. Now I had the proper exercise version. I needed another version, which is essentially the ones you would wear while sitting on the couch, watching TV, playing a video game, uh, really thick pajamas that you would be comfortable wearing to and from the store. And this is where Champion came back in. These cost 4,360 yen, so just under 50 bucks. Uh, they are called the Power Blend Fleece Open Bottom Pant. 
And they are perhaps one of the singularly most comfortable pairs of sweatpants I've ever worn. If you are looking to make your quarantine time a little more comfortable and you want pajamas that you can just wear around the day, these Power Blend fleece open bottom pants probably would be the ones I would recommend the most. These are thick pajama bottoms that you can wear all the time. So I did go through the websites because I went through Amazon and I went through Rakuten, which is the Japanese version of Amazon. I went through those and then I decided let's find the most expensive pair of sweatpants. And not a surprise, the most expensive sweatpants I found just on a quick search, I didn't go crazy on it, were the 41,800 yen pairs of Supreme Champion 3D metallic sweatpants. So you basically have the champion sweatpants I bought with a label that's sewn in that looks kind of 3D-ish and then branded by Supreme and you are paying 10 times more. I'm betting the quality of the material is the same or I would even bet worse than the ones I bought and I'm betting these are less comfortable than the pair I bought for 4,000 yen. So that's the kind of thing you got to be careful of. You don't really care about branding. The pair I have have the little C on the front. Uh, that usually falls off because they just tend to be glued on. This has it stitched in so it'll never fall off. And it doesn't even say Supreme on it. Like it says Champion on the front and then on the back on the butt it has another Champion. And the thing is it has a big M or L or whatever to tell you everyone what size pants you're wearing. So if you're not happy about that, that could be an issue in itself. And then at the bottom of that label, it says Supreme. And I'm betting the extra 38,000 yen you're paying are for the very tiny Supreme on the patch on the back of the pants. So be wary. Uh, if companies would like to send me a pair of sweatpants for me to lounge around in for a few days, I would be happy to take that on and I will give you a fair and honest review. Uh, but... I think it has been proven basically true that if you've paid more than 5,000 yen for a pair of sweatpants, you probably have gone into stupid territory and should pull back and re-examine your whole life. So I've been watching a lot of movies, as I think everyone has, and I watched The Hunt, and it turned out to be one of the singularly most amusing premises I've seen in a long time. The reason is that they took the traditional hunting the most dangerous game story. So uh, the one I always remember is where Ice-T is a homeless man and he gets kidnapped by these rednecks and white people uh, and they spend a lot of time on ATVs. I mean, I remember that being a big part of it. And then, of course, the, this is an underdog story. So he turns the tables and starts killing all the rich, fat white men who are oppressing society. It's a great story. Everyone loves it. Except for uh, the big, fat white men who are on the ATVs or the people who, you know, relate to them. So the premise of this, the hunt, is that the people being hunted are actually conservatives. And the people doing the hunting are extreme liberals. Now you would go, hey, that doesn't make sense. But the idea is that it's these extreme conservatives on the internet have taken down the liberals and they're in this such dire situation they need to teach them a lesson and they have all the money which is also part that i found quite amusing and so they've set up this game in some eastern european country now this follows the exact same sort of beats it has the uh, one heroine in this case 
who turns the tables and starts taking out the conservatives. She figures it out right away that something's awry. Uh, she kind of knows what's going on and she has these incredible survival skills, which is great. I realize though that the conservative bent people who will go to see this movie are going to enjoy it because they get to align themselves with the victim, which is what that political group kind of wants to do. And the liberals who go see the movie are going to enjoy it because they're going to see the irony of the liberals being the bad guys who actually run it. Both groups are kind of satisfied. The politically liberal people are going to enjoy the irony of the movie and see the joke. And the politically conservative people are going to be able to align themselves with the hero in this case, who's got the underdog story, who has their comeuppance on the liberals who they hate so much. So I realized that this could be an excellent trend for a very short time. This is going to work in movies for the next little while. So this, I don't think, is ever going to be a really popular film. This type of film, this genre, this very uh, predictable plot, isn't something that's going to be picked up on a lot. But they could do the premise more often, put the liberals as the evil bad guys and the conservatives as the underdog, and you will actually appeal to a broader audience. Now, some people will see the joke, some people won't, but that's fine as long as you're getting their money. And this premise will basically stand until the irony and the comedy of the premise itself starts to fall apart, which I'm betting would be The Hunt 2. Now, since I've had time watching movies, I also saw Bloodshot with uh, Vin Diesel, where he plays a man who can be taken apart and booked put back together by nanobots so he gets shot and then the nanobots bring back all his bits and his blood i guess uh and then he rebuilds himself he basically has wolverine powers you can like break them down and then he can build himself up again really quickly so he has a super healing factor which is great uh it's a fine movie if you're into dumb action films it's got not a bad premise where they wipe his memory and then convince him that someone else has killed his wife so he goes out on the same revenge mission but he actually kills multiple people uh, that's all given away in the trailer, so there's no big surprise that I just told you that. There was one moment where they make a average to small dick size joke. The guy who is the butt of the joke, which is ironic because it's the butt of the joke, not the dick of the joke, looks questioningly to a coworker, and he's checking to see if the joke made at his expense that his penis size is perhaps below average, uh, if that is appropriate, and there is a young Asian woman who looks at him and shakes her head silently. This was supposed to be for comedic relief. It was a pretty lame joke. A lot of the jokes in it are quite lame, but I think it's aimed at a younger group than me, uh, people who had actually maybe not heard these jokes before. I realized one of the problems with a lot of the jokes in movies are things I've heard multiple times, so they're not actually funny to me anymore. There's a lot of movies I've shown to my son and a very lame joke will come up, and he'll think it's really funny, but it's because he's never heard it before. So this is one of the problems with age. is isn't that, you know, you have great experience. It's that you've experienced everything multiple times, and so the thrill of that initial experience is gone. So there's probably jokes that I remember being super funny in movies that if I saw with an adult at the same time, they had probably already heard some version of that joke before and found it less funny than I did weirdly bloodshot might be a really good kids film if you know you're comfortable with them seeing people get body parts blown off and then have them digitally reconstructed in front of them but it was one of those moments where i wonder what that young woman has put on her resume 
did she put comic relief coworker girl who shakes her head? I should have read the, the credits. I didn't actually take the time to read the credits. So that's where this fell apart. Only because I started thinking about it just as I was talking about the last part uh, where I'm talking about iced tea. As soon as I said iced tea, I thought of the movie poster. The movie, by the way, is surviving the game. It's not just like iced tea gets hunted by white people. If I remember correctly, there is like one guy, one African-American dude in the hunting party. And I think that was just to make it so they, they could then claim to be uh, more open-minded, I guess. I don't know. Let's face it. Rutger Hauer's in it. So if Rutger Hauer was in it, I was going to see it. That was just sort of a base rule throughout the 80s and 90s. But on the poster, you have Ice-T running away. He's got big dreadlocks and stuff. And then you have like an overlay of Rutger Hauer. And then it has Ice-T's name over a white guy, and then Rutger Hauer over the overlay of Rutger Hauer. So it actually looks like someone else is getting the credit for Ice-T because they usually put the name across the head. Uh, but in this case, they weren't actually doing that. They were putting like Ice-T the lead character, so he actually gets, you know, first billing. But it just didn't look right on the poster. That's something, if you're going to make movie posters, that's something you should think about, is making sure that the names go appropriate with the person or the person who is the lead gets the biggest face so that you can actually see. I think you're already getting what I'm talking about. It was confusing as to who Ice-T was if you never knew who Ice-T was, although at that point in the world, you pretty much knew Ice-T was the black guy. But does she put on her resume, I was the Asian girl who silently shook her head no, at the dick joke on her resume. Is that something you're proud of? Because Bloodshot, I'm sure that's a big movie, you know, technically speaking. Uh, she did get FaceTime on the film. She didn't get any speaking lines, but she did provide the actual closest thing to proper comic relief in the film, but she was just a throwaway character just the same. So I don't know what to do with that. I appreciated her performance. It was very deadpan, and that's what the scene called for, because if there was any sort of goofiness, it actually would have taken away from the joke itself, whereas this actually enhanced the joke, the joke itself being quite poor. So the joke needed to be as enhanced as possible. But I hope this actually helps her career. I would be interested to do an interview with people like that, people who have singular scenes in movies that are, you know, significant, but then also could have been edited out completely and wouldn't have made any difference to the film itself. How do those moments impact their career overall? So if you know someone who's in that position or has been in a position similar to that, I would love to hear their experience, even though it's just personal, uh, because that in itself is interesting to me. We're coming up very quickly on episode 200. And honestly, I have no idea what to do. I've run through a creative drought because I am at home and I'm doing the quarantine thing and I'm not really leaving my house. So I'm having fewer experiences. And I actually realize what I'm having most of all are fewer interactions with other people. And that's probably something that sparks a lot of the ideas. So for episode 150 or episode 100, what I did was just try to get a theme and stick to the theme. I forget which one it was. I think it was 150 was the all Game of Thrones episode, which was actually very popular. If there's a theme you would like to recommend, uh, you can post a message or, uh, or you can record a voice message at voicelink.fm slash velocipodcast and I will get it and I will hear it. And honestly, what I'm kind of trying to figure out is what can I do to commemorate episode 200? Because right now, honestly, very much like this podcast for the last 196 episodes, I got nothing. Velocipodcast. 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 Velocip
Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. Leave a text or voice question or comment at voicelink.fm slash podcast. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast, sexy out homies. My daughter really, whatever, you don't care about my kids. To lounge around in if you, for a few.